The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Well, good morning. Good morning, Neighborhood Church. My name is Joel. I'm a pastor here, and I just want to welcome you here. Good morning. Good morning, Silas. That's right. Uh, yeah, just as you're finding your seats, I'm glad to see all the Chiefs red in the room. That's right. Go Chiefs. I do have the Colts running back on my fantasy football team, though, so I you know, might be wanting them to score a couple touchdowns, but not too many. All right. Just joking. I'll always cheer for the Chiefs first. All right, uh, but uh, this morning we are going to dive into Exodus. We're going to cover a lot of territory, um, but as I was thinking about God's Word and hearing it uh, and letting it transform our lives, I thought about yesterday, or excuse me, two days ago, I went to the optometrist, the eye doctor, and I hadn't been in a few years. Uh, and I don't know, my experiences with optometrists, they're very like soft-spoken individuals, and uh, at least this is literally every optometrist I've been to, they don't uh, express themselves. What they say is very matter-of-fact. And so I, I actually just went to get new glasses. If you can't tell, these things are crooked, and uh, they look funny on my face. My wife tells me I need new glasses. I'm like, all right, okay, I'll go get some new glasses. But what's funny about this visit was that I went and um, I use eye drops for allergies in my eyes a lot. I have terrible seasonal allergies, and I use this over-the-counter stuff. And when I shared that information with the optometrist, he just says, don't do that. Stop that, right? And he just looked at me and told me that. And I, and I said, really? And he, yeah. He's like, don't, don't use those as much as you do. I can't believe you heard that for so long. And, and he just said, matter of fact, just stop it. Stop it. And I was like, okay. I got it. I got the message. I'll stop. Um, and it might even be causing some problems in my eyes that are, I mean, will be healed, no problem with a little bit of steroid eye drops. But, but the idea is that, you know, he was so matter of fact, he just said, don't do that. Stop it. And then he gave me something. He said, just put this in your eye four times a day for a week. Come back. I'll, I'll see you and we'll get your eyes checked out. And I'm like, okay, good. And it, my eyes already feel so much better. But I thought about this. This is kind of like God's Word. You know, sometimes it's like matter of fact. We learn it. We read it. And I hope that some of you in this room just hear the conviction to say, this is what we do need to do. This is what we need to stop. This is what we need to do. This is how we should walk in faith and walk in our relationship with the Lord. And I pray that this morning you might hear that message uh, of love, of comfort, and also the challenge to grow, the, the challenge to know the Lord more deeply. Let's pray before we dive in. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for pursuing us. As we learn in Exodus, you are relentless. You are relentless for your glory in our life. You are uh, relentless in love, in saving your people, making them your own. We love you and praise you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you for all that you're doing here in Overland Park, a neighborhood church, and other churches as they gather around the city. We praise you for the gospel and the power to break us free from sin and the yoke of slavery. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we are going to read a lot of the text this morning, and this might be one of those days where you will hear the Bible more than you hear my voice, which is awesome, okay? So, um, but I thought Pastor Dave did a great job last week in chapter 4, and I wanted to start actually in chapter 4, but most of what we talk about is going to be in chapters 5 and 6. But we want to set the stage a little bit first as we're diving into Exodus here. We learn that Moses has been tasked with coming as an instrument, a servant of God, to proclaim to Pharaoh to let God's people go. And you know, he's a little hesitant, to say the least, about following this instruction, right? His obedience uh, wasn't right away. And he, he kind of presses God to say, I'm not sure I can do this. I, I'm not qualified. I'm not a good speaker. And God says, well, here, let me give you some miracles to perform in front of the people. So in chapter 4 at the end in verses 27 through uh, the rest of the chapter of chapter 4, God is going to tell Aaron and Moses to go to the people and perform these things. And he gave Moses three things. And one of those was Moses put his hand in a cloak, in his cloak, took it out, and it was leprous. And he put it back in his cloak, took it out, and it was healed again. The next one was Moses had this staff with him, and he threw it on the ground. It turned into a snake. And then Moses grabbed the snake by the tail, and it turned back into a staff. And the last one was turning water into blood. So Moses and Aaron, we're going to pick up in this story where Moses is following God. He's obeying God. He's doing what God has asked him to do. And Aaron is going to meet Moses after God's prompting. And this is where we're going to pick up. But something a little bit different today. I know that we usually put the text on the screen. We're going to read a lot of text today. So instead of just the words, or not just the words, but the words, I actually put pictures to the words. So I, I'm a visual learner. I love pictures. So as I read the text, uh, you will be seeing some pictures on the screen. There's also Bibles in, in the back of your chairs if you don't have one. And if you don't have a Bible at all, please take it with you as you leave today. But let's dive into God's Word in chapter 4, we pick up, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went, met him at the mountain of God, Mount Haran, and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do, those three that we mentioned earlier. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the, in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped or blessed God. So just here in explanation, when the people knew that God had seen them, this message from Moses and Aaron, that he knew their suffering that they trusted God's plan. Once they heard God was with them, that he had seen them in their pain and their slavery, they were reassured that God was going to rescue them. He had seen their struggle, he had seen their pain, and he was going to act and deliver them. But as we continue to read, I want to point this out, that this trust that the people displayed in that moment when they saw God's power, when they saw his his awesomeness, the miracles that Moses and Aaron brought. This trust actually is conditional, and we're going to find out in our story today how conditional it is. But the people assumed 
how God would act, how quickly he would act, and what he would do. So let's continue on. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. So now we're with Pharaoh. First meeting, Moses and Aaron. Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with the sword. Just a quick pause here. God did not say that he was going to bring pestilence or the sword to Moses or the people of Israel, but this is kind of a phrase that lets Pharaoh know that Moses and, and Aaron, they kind of mean business, right? They're not going to let go of this message because they really don't know, right? God has, hasn't really told them as much maybe that they would like to know, and they maybe don't know what God would do if Pharaoh doesn't let the people go. But, but it does relay to Pharaoh their seriousness in the message, to stay the course, that they're not going to deviate from this message that the, the people should be let go and that God has said so. So verse 4, picking back up. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen. So to give you a little bit of a context, the taskmasters were Egyptians, kind of their the overlords of the the uh, the servants, the Hebrew servants and slaves, and the foremen were Hebrew. Okay, so there was the Egyptian soldiers or the Egyptian taskmasters that were in charge of all the slaves, but then you also had Hebrew men who were in charge of making sure the work was done on a daily basis. And so the Egyptian taskmasters would go to the Hebrew foremen and talk to them about all the day's work and what was happening and making sure all the tasks and the quotas were filled. So we have these two words, taskmasters. Just remember those are the Egyptian, that's the Egyptian authority. And then the foremen are Hebrew men. So it says, the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So Moses, or excuse me, uh, Pharaoh, his problem solving is very similar to his predecessors on the throne. That the Hebrews are growing in number. And he points it out again here that they're growing. They're even more vast than they were before. And the Pharaoh uh, that was a predecessor before had killed the population and enslaved the Hebrews. So Pharaoh's idea really isn't novel. This is nothing new. More work for the growing population. 
But it is kind of lunacy because obviously God's blessing is upon them. And this work and man's power has no control over God's blessing. And the people are growing, they're thriving, and they're becoming more populated. So, let's continue on. Verse 10, chapter 5. So, the taskmasters, Egyptian, and the foreman, Hebrew, of the people went out and said to them, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So, the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work. Your daily task or your uh, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foreman of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday, as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle, that is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord, go now and work, no straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. So this whole idea is and, and many of you are well aware, I think, of the, the straw that was used back in the time of Pharaoh and the, uh, the Hebrews. But they would take straw and mud and clay and mush it together, and it would kind of cement the two things. And, and, but straw was an integral part of making these kinds of bricks in Egypt. And they would use the leftover uh, stock of the wheat or whatever it is, that, whatever grain they, they made. And when the Egyptians would go or Hebrews would go and they would harvest the grain, they would use these scythes, these circular blades, right? Many of you know what I'm talking about. And they would, they would sometimes tie little bundles, right? And they'd cut the, the grain off the top. And then whatever was on the stock that was left after the grain was harvested, they would cut that at the base and give that to the Hebrews to make bricks, Right? The stubble is what was left after this second cut. This tiny little bit of stubble that was left, and a lot of you may be driving on your uh, trips around uh, states, see the cornfield or see whatever field has been harvested, and there's a little bit left at the base. That's what the Hebrews had to go around and pick to make their bricks. Almost impossible to keep up with the task. So Pharaoh is merciless. This makes me think my last trip up to Nebraska to the ranch um, with Kirsten. That's where Kirsten's family, my wife, lives, and they have they have a ranch. They have a quarter kind of acre plot that's only garden, right? So when I think raised garden, I've got this like little, you know, six by three raised garden, and it's nice. No, the the garden in Nebraska is a quarter acre lot. And uh, we were tasked one day while we were there to go weed the garden. <laughs> so I was like, joy, this is going to be great. Uh, but you know what? That's, that's life on the ranch. You go out, you work in the morning, you come in with a delicious, you have a delicious meal, and Grandma Jean is, uh, you know, putting together something really good. Uh, her, um, oh, her, uh, 
Oh, not enchiladas. Um, oh, it's not like enchiladas. She makes really, really good uh, Mexican feast usually, so it's delightful. But the thing is, in Nebraska, there's a lot of dust in, and dirt and sand um, that's loose on the top of the soil. So when we went out there, I was like, oh, man, we we're going to be out here for days. But, but I reached down, and I, I pulled out this weed, and it just came right up out of the ground. I mean, it was just so easy. I was like, that, that was the easiest thing. That is not what the Hebrews were tasked to do. They were tasked to pull out these tiny little things that had already been cut off at the base. And most of the time, I was pulling these weeds out with all the flowering and the, the leafy ends. You know, it was easy. But the Hebrews, they were charged with something very different. It was impossible. And they were being beaten for not meeting the task at hand. So let's continue in verse 19. It says, The foreman of the people, so the Hebrew authority over the slaves, in Israel, saw that they were in trouble. And when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Verse 22, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. This leads us into point number one. I only have two points this morning. Point number one is that we must never assume that obedience to God will increase our earthly comfort. Our obedience to God does not mean our earthly prosperity. See, the Hebrews, when they heard that God was acting, right, back in chapter 4, and they saw his power, they assumed a great many things about how God was going to act and how he was going to save and I believe God told Moses to write this story down in order to display to future generations that God is pursuing us, that he pursues his people. He is faithful to keep his promises. We'll get into that one in the next point too. But he will always be with us no matter the suffering or the injustice or persecution. And also to remind us that our obedience in his plan, in his timing, and for his glory does not effectually bring about our worldly peace and comfort. That's a foreign concept to us. It's, it's, it's so strange because in our world, the harder we work, the more vacation time we get. The, the better the grades we get in school, the more scholarships and acclamations are given to us. And when we listen to our boss, good things come our way. I can speak to that. We are rewarded for doing the right thing, and that isn't, that isn't wrong at all. We often reward ourselves with earthly pleasures and earthly entertainment or ease when we reach a milestone or some kind of accomplishment. In our culture, we experience this conflict, and if we experience conflict or pushback of any kind, we assume that we're doing something wrong, and we should change that. We have to understand something. I think God wants us to understand this this morning, that our obedience to God 
does not mean that he is obligated to give us ease and worldly peace. When we say we trust God with our lives and we act in obedience to love him in the world, and then we're met with conflict and hardship, my response is usually, I can't believe this. I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> what? Why am I being punished for living a godly life? Why are people not enjoying this righteous living that I'm doing? Which is very arrogant of me to say in the first place, right? God, don't you care about me and my life? Don't you see what I'm going through? I thought things would change if I started following God. And what we mean by that is things would get easier when I trust God and, and when I follow Jesus with my life. And then ultimately, some people get to the conclusion that I guess trusting God just really doesn't work if it leads to all this suffering and pain. There's difficulty to trust God with our obedience. No matter the result of the obedience comes from many things, but probably most destructively being our cultural infatuation with ease and instant gratification We hate patience. <laughs> we don't like discipline. And we don't like being consistent through hardship or sacrifice. We get wrapped up in wanting God to do everything for us, to, to, make, different, to make us different overnight, quickly, to take us out of our spiritual infancy to, to spiritual adulthood. I know I want him to do that to me. <laughs> And we want him to do so with the least resistance and the greatest ease on our part. And we want our obedience to God to result in worldly bliss and spiritual relaxation. But obedience, when the effect of that obedience is not known and not guaranteed, if it's going to be expedient or not, is where faith comes into play. If you're like me and want to know with certainty that you don't treat your relationship with God like your experience with your grade school teachers when they would give you candy every time you said the right answers. I love Jolly Ranchers, favorite by far. I ate a lot of Jolly Ranchers when I was first grade through sixth grade. If you want to know that, then trust God in your obedience. Trust Him when things don't go how you envision them or when conflict comes when you follow Jesus with your whole heart and you follow God in his ways. See, we don't really know what his plan is. We don't see it. We pray for it, that it comes into our life, and, and through our actions, we pray for that. But we can't trust that, or excuse me, but we can trust that he is always pursuing the world through us. He's always with us, and that he is working all things together for our good, ultimately. So I want to spend a moment here and a couple application points. I want you to consider something uh, that, you cons or that you consider, consider something you consider, obedience to God. Okay, so what is it that you consider an act of obedience? Could be coming to church, could be Bible study, going to discipleship group. We have several of those here at church, uh, repenting from sin, serving the church or community, uh, ministering to a friend, preaching the gospel to someone who doesn't know the Lord. I want to ask you some hard questions, and these are hard for me 
as well. But I know if I don't ask them, I will not grow. (laughs) But how long would you continue in those things when they become difficult or hard? And is obedience to God something you prioritize only when life is good? When it fits in your schedule? Or is it something that we prioritize above all other things because we know that although it might be some of the most uncomfortable and difficult things we ever do, that ultimately it is what God wants us to do. That's hard. I got a lot of questions going through my mind. I, I do not do this well. I want to follow God when I have energy to follow God. I want to follow God when I feel joy. I want to follow God when I feel peace. And sometimes I don't feel like that. But God says, I'm with you. And we're going to find that the things that he tells Moses, when Moses doubts his calling, what God has told him to do, it's God's promises that he repeats to us over and over and over again. It's nothing here that I rely on, that God tells me I should rely on. It's all him. It's all the promises. It's all, it's all God that does the work. We're going to keep going here. So in Exodus, the Hebrews were tested in their obedience. They were excited. They praised God when they saw his power and his faithfulness, when they saw the miracles initially. But when it came through with trusting his plan with their lives, they faltered. And they became angry with Moses. So let's pick up in chapter 6. Love the title. It says, God promises deliverance. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. You see this contrast with the authority that Pharaoh has literally enslaved the people and said, you're going to make bricks, you're going to, I'm going to make it impossible for you to make bricks, and you're going to continue to make bricks because I say so. God says, watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that power, that authority, and Pharaoh's going to say, leave, go. I don't want you here anymore. That same authority, right, that all his soldiers and all, all of Egypt will literally welcome the, the exodus because of God's power. God says, Watch and see how much I'm pursuing you. See how much I desire to save you. God spoke to Moses in verse 2 and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So this is an interesting verse because for us, uh, some of us have known the Lord for a long time, but, but in this moment in history, God had communicated his name to Abraham, to Jacob, specifically Yahweh. But he hadn't necessarily done that to the people. And so he's displaying his name. He is displaying his goodness, his pursuit of his people, his name to the people now, to Hebrew, or to the Hebrews. And so this verse literally is, I am the one that made the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can be sure of that. So he says, I also established my covenant, in verse 4, with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners, 
Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. That phrase, I am the Lord, I kind of said it in a different tone that I kind of wanted to say it in because this phrase, I am the Lord, is more like, uh, kind of like a, a moment where you don't recognize someone. Maybe maybe it's from waking up and you're, you're, you, get, you get terrified or something, I don't know. But like you don't recognize someone you know, and they just say, it's me. That's the tone of, of God saying, I am the Lord, your God. It's me. I'm your father. I love you. I, I'm the one who made the covenant with you. Trust me. Put your faith in me. I won't let you down. Verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, encouraging them, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Now that phrase, uncircumcised lips, some, some people believe that it means that Moses had some kind of speech impediment. But what I was, when I was studying this week, it, it really just means that in Hebrew tradition, the, the males were circumcised on the eighth day. And so Moses is using a metaphor just to say that I really have an untrained mouth. <laughs> I'm not a good speaker. I mean, I, I don't speak in front of people. Like mo most of you might say that. It's like, uh, you want me to do what? Go talk to the king of the land? Like, no, I don't do that professionally. I'm, I didn't go to school for that, right? So that's basically what he's saying. I, I'm, I have uncircumcised lips. I, I'm a beginner at this. I, I'm untrained. Verse 13 in chapter 6 says, But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. There's a portion of the genealogy of Moses and Aaron in this next chapter. We're going to skip over for sake of time. And, and also, um, just, you know, we don't have the time to study that, that genealogy today. But at the end in verse 26, um, it continues and says, this is Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the people out of Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. In verse 28, On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am, a, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Okay, that is the last verse that I'm going to read the, this morning from Exodus. I'll say that. There's one more verse, so hang, hang in there. But I want, I want to tell you point number two. We're left with Moses 
And he just does not, he, he's, he's un, he's un, ooh, he doesn't want to believe that God has called him to this task. I'll say that. He doesn't want to believe it. I'm untrained. How, I killed someone. <laughs> how, could, how could you pick me? He's lost faith in himself. He's lost faith in God's plan. But here's the thing. Point number two today is that God displays his faithfulness when we are faithless. God displays his faithfulness when we are faithless. God knows us. He knows everything about us. He knows Moses. He, he even, when he called him out of Egypt and spoke to him at the burning bush, he knew that Moses would be an insecure leader and that the people would grumble against Moses and that when this happened, Moses would already begin to doubt his role and part to play in God's pursuit of the Israelites. I tell you what, Moses got three things wrong, right? He doubted God, right? He listened to the people, and he also, well, I guess you'd say doubted God again, but Moses also doubted himself, that it was his task to do in God's plan. Those three things. If you, if you really want to be outside of God's blessing and spiritual blessing, doubt his promises, doubt your design in his promises, and listen to everyone around you who's talking not godly things to you. <laughs> those three things. Moses did them all. Sometimes I do some of those too. When my obedience to God is met with conflict. But God's promises to his people and his dedication to fulfill these promises is so much greater than our insecurities. And Moses still has room to grow in his faith and God's plan for him, as do all of us. And Moses thinks he is not a practiced public speaker. He thinks God is too slow in rescuing his people. And he also has let this public opinion of himself be the highest value in his life. But you know what? God reassures Moses of his faithfulness despite his insecurities, that God's plan to save his people will come to fruition in his time. And he also reminds Moses that it is by his own mighty hand, God's mighty hand, that these things will be done, not Moses's. And that man's power is of no concern and can do nothing when God's power is involved and his plan is involved. God remains faithful to Israelites, to Moses. He pursues them. And just like he's faithful to them, he's faithful to us. The greatest faithfulness and reassurance of his plan to save us from slavery to sin came through Jesus. We see this is a, this is a mini story, right, in the great plan. But we see the faithfulness, the reassurance. And now we're on the other side where we get to see that assurance. We trust in it. The cross is the assurance that God is faithful to do what he's promised for us, for the world. And we get the joy to carry this faithfulness to the world. Not our faithfulness, not our strength, not our abilities, but it's God's. God definitely has his own timing, for sure, right? And Romans 5, 6 reminds us 
that this timing was the right time. (laughs) And that despite what we think about how God should act or when He should act, in Romans 5, 6, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. In God's design and His plan, Jesus died for our sins. That's wonderful. It's not up to my time. It's not up to my decision how God acts, when He acts and chooses to or not. And I can trust that. God promises to be faithful even when we undergo all those things, when we follow Him, when we obey Him. And it's hard. So while we're still sinners, God rescued us by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that through His death on a cross, that we could be freed from the slavery and consequences of our sin. God's faithfulness to us is His commitment to see us rescued. And He is committed. So committed, He sent Jesus to die on that cross. His Son, His only Son. We love Him for that. We gather here, we worship to remember God's faithfulness every Sunday. May we be a church that understands that when we follow God, His ways, it's going to be hard. It might be painful. It might not be what we're expecting. But God is faithful, and He promises to be with us. He sees us in that pain. He sees us in the suffering. He sees us in the life that He has called us to. And ultimately, He's working all things for our good. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this message in Exodus. Thank you for the Israelites and their waywardness when they lack the trust. Because it's just like me. I don't trust you well. I want to do things my way. God, rid us of that. Rid us of wanting to live life for our own glory. Help us to see your great love story as we study the Israelites in Exodus. Help us to see that you pursue us. Help us to see you pursue us just like you pursued the Israelites. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. I pray that you continue to grow us as a church, as a community. Help us to encourage one another when we experience conflict, when we experience hardship that this world will bring to us when we follow you in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. As we move into time of confession, there will be a slide with questions on there for for you to answer and pray about during that time.